the great fundamental issue now before our people can be stated. It is, are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control themselves? I believe they are. My opponents do not. councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. the future and the image of our hopes is ours is to determine by our actions and our choices. If we succeed, generations to come will say of us now living that we mastered our moment. They're afraid of us, but they can't silence us. This is The Right Take. Dawn of the final week. Seven days remain. How's it going, everybody? My name, of course, is Eric Lendrum. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to episode number 84 here of The Right Take. I'm your co-host, and for today's episode, I am your only host. Jacob is off right now. He is off doing some deep-dive investigative work to gather up all the latest data, crunching all the numbers going into election week, the final week before the midterms. He has, of course, given me permission to deliver on behalf of himself as well as myself jointly here the official right take predictions for the 2022 midterms. We will cover the major races for Senate, for the U.S. House, and governor's races across the country, what the balance of power will ultimately look like after November the 8th 
which is as of the recording of this episode, one week from today. But a lot has happened, folks. A lot of big changes have happened. Some breaking news even just today within the last 24 hours, folks. Stuff that absolutely can and will impact the final results of several key races for the better. This, this, this is good news. These are some big, fat, white pills here just for you guys. We're going to talk about these few things before we get to the actual predictions you all came here for. So first, this is a big deal. On Tuesday in Arizona... The Libertarian nominee for the U.S. Senate race, a guy named Mark Victor, dropped out of the contest and endorsed Republican nominee Trump-backed Blake Masters. This is huge, folks. This is actually a big deal because, of course, he was the one other candidate who actually was on the ballot besides Masters and Democratic incumbent Mark Kelly. And this was one candidate who—this is interesting. In a lot of cases, of course, in a lot of the debates, as we know, the the— televised debates it's only the democrat and the republican because that's those are the old candidates that matter but for some reason i don't know who made this call in arizona someone decided that this libertarian guy mark victor should be allowed on the debate stage and he was on the debate stage during the sole debate between uh kelly and masters he was there as a third party candidate you know just loudly declaring i am neither a democrat or a republican i am sick of the partisanship rah, rah, all the typical stuff that third party candidates love to talk about and that did seem to help him initially in the very first poll immediately after the debate. He scored 15%. Now, of course, he quickly fell back down in the immediate aftermath of that. And he generally polled within the low to mid single digits, which is a, still a very big deal in a very close state like Arizona. And just to let you guys know, to remind you, this isn't just a, another third party candidate where maybe, you know, respondents to some polls basically decide, oh, I'm going to troll the pollsters and tell them that I'll vote for the third party guy just because I don't want to express an opinion one way or the other. But Mark Victor in Arizona is actually a proven example of a third party candidate who can perform decently enough that he would make all the difference. I did not know this until uh, just today when I did a little more research into this. In 2012, 10 years ago, he was also the Libertarian nominee for the U.S. Senate. Uh, that election, of course, was the one where Jeff Flake was elected to succeed uh, outgoing Senator John Kyle. And in that general election, again, the one other candidate who was on the ballot besides the Republican nominee and the Democrat nominee, Victor ultimately got just over 100,000 votes, which was less, just under 5% of the total popular vote. In that race, that would have made all the difference. If his 5% went to the Democrat, that ultimately would have put the Democrat in the top over uh, Jeff Flake. And in most of these polls, again, outside of that 15% poll, which is most likely an outlier, just immediate reaction to the, to the debate, the percentages he scored, ultimately, if his percentages went to Masters, Masters would be put over the edge because Masters is down by narrow margins of two to three points at this point. So one to two to three points tied in some polls. The, pre the last poll taken right before Victor withdrew had them at a dead heat with Victor getting 2%. So give that 2% to Masters, he wins. So this absolutely, and the fact he endorsed Masters is the icing on the cake. He basically came, came out and said, you know, hey, I think Masters and I are on the same page about a lot of things. He is the, of the two candidates, he is the better one to getting us towards uh, the vision that I have for American politics. So I'm okay with this. This is very rare. We all know the memes that libertarians love to just run as third party candidates to spoil Democrat, to spoil Republicans more often than anything else. And that they are the ones that we can blame for a number of seats ultimately going to the Democrats, you know, the uh, the Virginia gubernatorial election in 2013 is a huge example. The Libertarian there absolutely stole that election from uh, Ken Cuccinelli and allowed, of course, uh, Terry McAuliffe to get in there. So this, in my mind, only sucked. 
a Blake Masters victory one week from today. I already believe that he was the favorite to win, even with this Libertarian in the race, but now that it is down to just the two of them, Victor will still be on the ballot, of course, but his endorsement a week out from the election guarantees that the majority of his voters will ultimately uh, do as he says, and they will vote for Masters, which I think will make all the difference and will be enough to put him over the top for an absolute majority, I think. He could actually get a majority of the overall votes rather than just plurality. So that's the first big thing. Then later in the day on Tuesday, uh, again, the day I'm recording this, which is uh, yesterday for you guys listening after we post this, Pennsylvania. Big, big news here. Of course, the, the GOP, the Republican National Committee, had filed a lawsuit uh, for voter integrity, election integrity there in Pennsylvania regarding mail-in ballots that are either undated or dated incorrectly. You know, dated for a future year or dated two years ago, et cetera, et cetera. And this went before the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, which, and this is, this was just breaking news right before we started recording. This is from Philip Wegman, the White House reporter for Real Clear Politics, who declared that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has ruled in favor of the Republican National Committee. All state and county election officials in the state of Pennsylvania are ordered to stop counting any and all mail-in ballots that are undated or dated incorrectly. This is massive because Pennsylvania is one of those states that unfortunately— they have Republican legislature, but a Democrat governor and Democrat secretary of state. Uh, the latter, of course, is now running for governor. And it's one of the states that, unlike Georgia, Florida, uh, Texas, and Iowa, has not had a chance yet to fix the voter fraud problems there because, uh, again, Democrat governor would just veto anything that the legislature puts through. This undoubtedly, of course, is how Democrats in Pennsylvania were most likely hoping to rig that election in favor of John Fetterman, the literal stroke victim running for U.S. Senate. And again, the gubernatorial nominee is the incumbent Secretary of State Josh Shapiro, who was already going to use and abuse the power of that office to boost his candidacy. This is a huge blow to the Democrats' uh, post-COVID election shenanigans, folks. And I think this actually could. This, again, like Blake Masters, the news with the Libertarian there in Arizona, this solidifies what to me was already a likely Oz victory in the U.S. Senate. This just guarantees he'll win, I think. But this could even sway the governor's race. I actually think that Doug Mastriano now has a chance. Will he actually win? We'll come back to that in the official predictions. But that is another great bit of news, a big white pill for a crucial swing state one week out from the election. Covering the last few polls here uh, going into the final week of the election. And again, the only poll that really matters, the most accurate pollster in the country is the Trafalgar Group. This is the one pollster that correctly predicted, predicted 2016. They were most accurate in 2018 and in 2020. They ultimately, the mainstream media and, you know, Wikipedia articles keep writing it off as, oh, this is a Republican pollster. This is a right-leaning pollster. No, that's garbage. They're an accurate pollster. The media calls them Republican because they accurately show Republican advantages in key swing states and key races. They put out a poll in New York for the governor's race there that has Lee Zeldin, the congressman from the 1st Congressional District and the Republican nominee, leading incumbent Democrat Kathy Hochul, again, Andrew Cuomo's former lieutenant governor, 48.4 to 47.6, so just under 1%. Margin of error, of course, but the fact that it is this close now, according to one of the most accurate pollsters in the country, is a huge deal. He's got all the momentum going into the final week here, and if ever there was a place for an upset, New York could be one of them. Trafalgar has another poll with what would be an upset for Republicans. The U.S. Senate race in Washington, where longtime incumbent Patty Murray, who's been in there since 1992, is Barely leading her Republican challenger, Tiffany Smiley, by just 1.2%. That's 49.4 to Smiley's 48.2. Again, I think Washington—I'll just give this prediction ahead of time. Washington Senate, 
that's an, an RNC pipe dream. That's not going to go red. That's going to stay blue. It would be pretty awesome, but I just, again, with, with the shenanigans post-COVID, I don't see this happening, especially, and given it's already a heavily blue state, I don't see it happening. One last Trafalgar poll I want to talk about here. In New Mexico, the governor's race there, Trafalgar has the Republican challenger, again, meteorologist Mark Ronchetti, narrowly leading incoming governor, Democrat um, Michelle Grisham. 46.6% to Grisham's 45.5, so a 1.1% margin uh, difference. Again, margin of error, but... I think, and again, we'll come back to this. Could this possibly be a sleeper hit, a dark horse candidate that we do not see coming? Again, people are looking at New York. People are looking at Oregon. Is anyone really paying attention to New Mexico? Maybe they will be in a week. We shall see. All right. Now we are going to get to the actual predictions here. Starting with, of course, the upper chamber of the United States. The one everyone is focusing on, the U.S. Senate. I am of the belief, and again, Jacob has signed off on these predictions. He has agreed that these can be considered the joint official predictions here on the right take shared by both Jacob and myself. I believe that it ultimately will be the most realistic, best case scenario for Republicans. We will see a final Senate majority when this is all said and done of 53 seats for the GOP, 47 for the Democrats. That is a net gain of R plus three. I do, of course, ultimately believe that the Republicans will hold every single contested Senate seat that they are looking to defend this year, and they will pick up three battleground seats. So in Ohio, of course, our man, the author of J Hillbilly Elegy, J.D. Vance, will crush the pseudo-moderate Tim Ryan. That's a given. That's it. He could probably win by double digits. We are going to have an amazing America First senator and political outsider in J.D. Vance. Iowa, Chuck Grassley is absolutely going to win. I know he's like 90-something years old, but he's going to win. He will easily defeat Democrat Michael Franken. In Missouri, this is another easy one where Roy Blunt is retiring. Uh, Republican Attorney General Eric Schmidt will crush Trudy Bush Valentine in the general election. Again, probably by double digits. That seat would have gone red no matter what, even if it was Eric Greitens, but Schmidt is definitely going to win. Florida, folks. Florida, little Marco, the uh, bottled water drinker himself. He absolutely is going to crush Val Demings. There's just, it's no contest there. That uh, the latest poll there in uh, from the University of North Florida has him up by 11 points over Demings. Florida, even Democrats know. I'm seeing insider type articles from Politico and whatnot saying that Democrats are prepared for Florida to be a bloodbath. It absolutely is going to be ruby red and it's going to be great. And that will only benefit Rubio, who is at this point just riding Ron DeSantis's coattails. Wisconsin, this is a big one. Ron Johnson, folks. This guy, again, was first elected in 2010 as part of the Tea Party wave, re-elected the same year that Trump won that state in 2016. He has always been solid. This guy is my absolute favorite, like, dark horse pick in the U.S. Senate just on any, you know, given basis. He was always among the very first to call out the Russia hoax from the very beginning. And with his, uh, the power he had with his committees, he would fight back against these investigations. He was very supportive of Trump from the very beginning. He's from a key swing state. He's one of my top picks for a possible uh, 2024 VP pick for Trump, actually, uh, for those reasons, among others. He's easily going to win against Mandela Barnes. This is kind of a repeat of Pennsylvania. You have the incumbent lieutenant governor there, like Fetterman, uh, who's a total radical lefty. Uh, some old social media posts he made. He's a black guy. Old social media posts he has made. Racist posts against white people have been coming out to the forefront as a result of his candidacy. He is going to lose. As we said before, Wisconsin has horrible polling. And even then, even the horrible polling in Wisconsin has Johnson in the lead by now, which means he's definitely going to crush Barnes. Probably not by double digits, but by mid to high single digits, most likely. 
North Carolina, this is another big one. Again, one of the two states that the polls were completely wrong in in 2020 that they all said, oh, this state is going to go to Biden. It ended up going to Trump anyway, along with Florida. Ted Budd, the congressman endorsed by President Trump, who, again, won his uh, real come from behind victory in the primary, largely due to uh, entirely due to Trump's endorsement in a massive upset victory against former Governor Pat McCrory. He will win decisively, I think, against former uh, state Supreme Court Justice Sherry Beasley. He will win by solid. uh, The polls were really close for a while there, but they've leveled out and he's now decisively ahead in most polls by four to five points. He will win by a good mid single digit margin. And even more importantly, that is the seat being vacated by Richard Burr. He's retiring. He's not running for re-election. He's another one of the Republicans who voted for Trump's impeachment in the second trial. So to see him replaced by a solid America first guy like Ted Budd is a huge ideological victory. Utah, we talked about this with our friend uh, Josh Heckathorn a couple episodes ago. I actually do, I still believe, as I did back then, Mike Lee is going to win. Evan McMuffin is giving him a run for his money for sure. But the latest polling has come out from Emerson College. Two different polls, actually, from the same study from Emerson. Both have Lee ahead by 10 points over McMuffin. The last few polls that actually have McMuffin narrowly ahead are from PACs and outside groups that support his candidacy. So kind of throw them in the trash. Lee will be the beneficiary of the national mood that overwhelmingly supports Republicans at this point due to the, the midterm, just the mood right now, halfway through Biden's term, et cetera, et cetera. It will be through no no thanks to himself. He did no favors going on Fox News, going on Tucker, going on Hannity, and literally begging for Mitt Romney's endorsement. That's not going to help him. He is going to benefit from the national mood. And hopefully, will he ultimately learn a lesson from this, from this narrow victory? He will ultimately win narrowly, I think, probably by single digits. Will he learn from it? Who knows? But at least he will not have this grandstanding idiot in the Senate for six years to just talk about how Trump is Hitler and do absolutely nothing else. Alaska, I don't like saying this, folks. This is a a prediction I don't like making. It's the first bad prediction here. It will stay in Republican hands, but I do not believe that we will see an America first victory there. Of course, Lisa Murkowski, she's pro-choice. She's anti-Trump, pro-impeachment, one of the worst, probably the worst Republican in the Senate. She is, again, Alaska, as we talked about in a previous episode, They have this stupid new ranked choice voting system where a primary sees the top four vote getters advance to the general election, and you can then rank your candidates by choice. And if your candidate comes in last, then your second preferred candidate gets that vote. It's just stupid. It's it's a European disaster. Now, interestingly enough, uh, one Republican candidate in this race did learn a thing or two from the disastrous special election where Sarah Palin lost. Um, It ended up being initially after the primary. Three Republicans and one Democrat advanced to the general. One of those three Republicans, uh, Buzz Kelly, withdrew shortly after the primary or after the uh, special election where Sarah Palin lost to a Democrat. And he endorsed Kelly Shabaka, the candidate who has been endorsed by President Trump as the America first alternative to Lisa Murkowski. So now it's just Murkowski, Shabaka and a Democrat named Patricia Chesbro. Now, of course, at the end of the day here, I still think the Democrats are going to come in last place, I think. In initial voting, Murkowski will be first, Shabaka second, Democrat third. You can guarantee all those Democrat votes are just going to transfer over to Murkowski, and I think that should put her over the edge right then and there. Uh, it would take a miracle at this point for Shabaka to win, and some of my friends are more confident, more optimistic there than I am. I just don't see it. I'm gonna keep, We're keeping it realistic here for you folks. We're not going to give you, you know— 55 seat majority in the Senate and your 50 seat gain in the House. We're not here to give you that. We're here to give you the realistic picture, which is still good for us overall. But this is one seat we're probably not going to see switch ideologically, even if it stays in the same party's hands. 
Pennsylvania. This is a big deal. Again, especially after that Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruling, but even before that, even you know, certainly after that debate, we've all seen it. We've all heard about it. The It was worse or better, depending on who you ask, than anything we could have ever imagined. Oh, my God. John Fetterman makes Joe Biden look like a, a Harvard PhD graduate. Like, he it was so bad. It was unreal. We, some of my friends were worrying that, with all the the worry about his stroke and you know all the how much Dr. Oz was trumping up his medical records, why don't you you release your medical records? Some of my friends were worrying. Oh, maybe we're making it seem so bad that Fetterman all has to do all Fetterman has to do is just get up on stage, not fall over, and deliver a mediocre performance, and the media will run away with it and say, "Oh, clearly he's fit to serve. He's gotten better. He's recovered." No. That's not what happened. It was a disaster. Uh, I'll post a link in the description below to a town hall article that has like every single highlight or low light, depending on who you ask, of Fetterman's biggest gaffes contained in the form of embedded uh, tweet videos. It's great. It's glorious. Oz wiped the floor with him. And now again, with that Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruling, that's an even bigger deal. I think we are going to have Senator Dr. Oz come January. Fetterman it can you know finally get the care that he needs to finish recovering from his stroke, if he ever does recover, that is. And this is the one seat Republicans need to hold. This is the most contested Republican-held seat, and I think Dr. Oz is going to hold it. And again, he's succeeding uh, Pat Toomey, you know, a retiring Republican there who voted in favor of impeachment, the Trump's second trial, total rhino. We're not going to miss you, and Dr. Oz will take his place, and Jacob and I have had plenty of disagreements on this, on the merits of Oz's conservatism. We talked about, we, ha we hashed them out uh, on in the episode where our buddy Kyle Winter was in studio, and no, Oz is not a firebrand conservative by any means, but he owes his political career right now to Donald Trump, because it was Trump's endorsement that carried him over the finish line, and barely, he even then only barely won the nomination by less than 1,000 votes. He knows who he owes and when Trump comes back in for a second term, Oz will be loyal to Trump. You can count on that. He has refused to swear loyalty to Mitch McConnell on Fox News and interviews. And I think that is a net benefit for us at the end of the day. Even if he's not a hardcore ideologue, he is a team player for America first. And that's what we need. Washington, as I mentioned before, I think Patty Murray is going to win fairly decisively here against Tiffany Smiley. I just don't see it coming. You know, people, I, I don't see it happening. People try to compare, oh, well, what about Oregon? Well, again, and we'll get to the Oregon governor's race in a bit. That's due to the influence of a third-party candidate, and Oregon has been a lot closer in you know most recent statewide elections than Washington has. Washington is a more decisively blue than Oregon is. So sorry, RNC, you're not flipping Washington. Don't waste any more money there. Colorado, this is one Democrat victory I am pleased to predict. Michael Bennett, the senior senator there, will be reelected over Joe Odea, the Republican business owner who won the nomination in a one-on-one -on -one, two-way primary. And this guy deserves to lose. This guy recently has very much made it clear he is an anti-Trumper. He has said he aspires to be the Republican Joe Manchin, as if that's a good thing. He has said in an interview that if Trump runs again in 2024, Joe Odea will, quote, actively campaign against him. He won the nomination against a state uh, legislator named Ron Hanks, who was based, who was pro-Trump. He was there at the protest on January 6th in D.C. protesting voter fraud. We needed that guy. If that guy had been the nominee, 
maybe some magic could happen here. Uh, now, now, let's be honest, we probably weren't going to flip Colorado no matter what. But this guy, because he went all in on being anti-Trump, he lost the Republican base. He is and absolutely not going to win. You're, you're certainly not going to flip enough, you know, moderates or independents. But if you don't have the Trump base, you're not going to win. That seat will stay blue. So lastly, of course, we come to the pickups, the three GOP pickups that will happen. Nevada, we've talked about this. Adam Laxalt, former attorney general, is going to win against Catherine Cortez Mosto and pick up that seat there, benefiting from, again, the complete and utter collapse of the Nevada Democratic Party following Harry Reid's death. Arizona, we already talked about this. Blake Masters is going to win. I just don't. When you look at all the polls, you know, the polls continuing to this day to say, oh, he's down by a little bit or it's tied. And yet other polls, the same polls, will say all the other statewide candidates for executive offices, Carrie Lake for governor, Mark Fincher for secretary of state, the guy running for attorney general, they're all leading by like single, high single digits. Some polls even have Carrie Lake up by double digits. We'll come to that in a bit. I don't see a cycle where those candidates all sweep and Blake Masters still loses. So again, he was already the favorite to win, but now with this great news with the Libertarian dropping out and endorsing him, he's going to win. Gun grabber Mark Kelly's days are numbered. See ya. We're, we're gonna we're gonna blast him off into space. It'll be like the end of Moonraker. We'll we'll say to, to Mark Kelly, take a giant step for mankind and shoot him out the airlock of electoral politics for good. He's done. And Blake Masters, I think, will be the second best senator in this new class. Only behind JD Vance, but he is another solid America first culture warrior who knows. That this is the new national populist GOP and not the fiscally conservative, you know, interventionist Chamber of Commerce GOP. He knows the way the winds are going now. He knows what the new party is all about. And we absolutely will need more of this guy. We'll need more guys like him to follow his example. And I think a lot will. And then, of course, we get to Georgia. The third pickup that I think will happen. And this is going to be a tough one. I think this will still be a, a close race. But Raphael Warnock, the incumbent Democrat there, a black pastor, really a black nationalist when you get down to it, is facing off against the legendary football player Herschel Walker, widely considered the greatest college football player of all time. Uh, again, first-time candidate, celebrity, running for office. I, Jacob and I disagree on the debate. I think Walker did fine in the debate. He mopped the floor with Warnock, which says a lot, you know, considering that Warnock is you know, a pastor. He knows a thing or two about, you know, being a very loud, you know, uh, order, you know, kind of like, again, he very much styles himself like Obama in 2008 or like Martin Luther King or those types. Walker is going to win. He's been on the rise in some of the most recent polling there. And again, skipping a little bit ahead to governors here, Brian Kemp is widely expected to win by mid to high single digits. I don't see people going out and voting for Walker or voting for Kemp and not voting for Walker, Republican voters, that is. I think that will be enough to carry Walker over the finish line. If anything, I think if there is an outright victory, because again, Georgia's a runoff state, if any candidate is going to win this Senate seat with 50% plus one and avoid a runoff, it'll be Walker. I don't see Warnock winning outright. It could still go to a runoff, and things could get messy there because it's a month later. Some voters might be de-energized, or depending on the results of the midterms, maybe it'll be even more pumped up to go out and vote for him. But I think ultimately... Walker will win this seat. And like Dr. Oz, he's a celebrity. He's not a total America first nationalist ideologue, but he owes his political career to Trump. Trump single-handedly convinced him to join this race. Trump was publicly calling for Herschel Walker to run for Senate, and he did. He answered Trump's call, and he will be in office because of President Trump. And he, too, will be loyal to Trump when Trump comes back into office. Last race here I want to uh, talk about is my wild card. 
for the U.S. Senate. And this is one that a lot of my friends have been discussing uh, with great intensity recently. New Hampshire. Incumbent Democrat Maggie Hassan is being challenged by former uh, Army Special Forces Brigadier General Don Bolduc, who, of course, was uh, attacked in the primary by the media and Democrats spent money to support his campaign because, oh, he believes there was voter fraud in 2020. He's a radical. He's far right. He ended up beating out some more moderate candidates and he won the nomination. And, of course, Democrats are like, oh, we can easily beat him. We're totally going to beat him. But now he is closing the gap in the polls. And now it is a dead heat with, uh, according to most aggregates. It's within the margin of error. I still give the edge to Hassan at this point. I would love to see Bulldog win. He would be a solid America first senator. I like to think, if anything, you know, the bomb thrower that he is, I say this as a total compliment. I think he might be, if he were to be senator, he'd be the closest thing we could get to what Roy Moore would have been like as a senator. And I think that's a good thing. I supported Roy Moore. I think he would have been amazing, even as a grenade thrower. He would have done his job well. And I think Bulldog will, will be great if he wins. But at this time, a week later, a week out, I don't see it happening. And again, I'm going to give you the realistic picture here, folks. I think that seat will stay blue. But ultimately, we will have a new Senate majority of 53 to 47 when this is said and done. Moving on to the governor's races. This is another one where, again, we one of two categories where we can issue official predictions on every single race that is worth uh, predicting. Now, of course... There's a handful of really safe blue seats and really safe red seats. We're not going to talk about all those, you know, just like there were some safe seats we're not going to talk about in the Senate. But I do want to focus on a few just to put these out as official specific predictions. I think the final tally will have 30 Republican governors and 20 Democrat governors, which will see, of course, Republicans pick up four, Democrats pick up two for a net gain of R plus two from the current situation of uh, 28 Republicans and 26 Democrats. Georgia, already talked about this. Brian Kemp is going to win. Stacey Abrams just doesn't have the the allure, the, uh, I don't want to say charm, but you know what I mean. She doesn't have the appeal that she had four years ago when the national mood was better for Democrats, you know, the midterms during Trump's first term. She is imploding, she's collapsing, and she's just going far left, as far left as possible to the point that, like Jacob said, she scares the absolute crap out of white suburban voters in Georgia, and they are going to turn out in droves to vote for Kemp to vote against her. Brian Kemp will win re-election. And again, will that ultimately carry over to support uh, crossover support for Walker in the Senate race? We will see. Ohio, uh, our friend Kyle Winner agrees with us on this one. He's not happy about it, but he agrees. Mike DeWine will easily be re-elected against Democrat Nan Whaley. Massive double-digit victory there for sure. In Iowa, Kim Reynolds will be re-elected against Democrat Deidre DeGere. Again, that's another, the, both those states back to Ohio and Iowa are two examples of Rust Belt states that were formerly swing states, but are now decisively red under the new Trumpian populist Republican Party. Texas, this is an easy one. Greg Abbott will win. Beta, or excuse me, Beto O'Rourke is not going to win this. He couldn't beat Ted Cruz in 2018 with like $100 million thrown at him by Hollywood in a mood that was really good for Democrats. And he came close. He lost by about two points. But it's worth pointing out that in the same year that Beto uh, almost beat Ted Cruz, Greg Abbott was winning re-election by a 13-point margin against his Democrat challenger that same year. So that really was more just a referendum on Ted Cruz himself and his personality, which is not very great. We've seen that uh, continue in recent years with the Cancun scandal. So yeah, Beto does not stand a chance. He is absolutely going to get crushed in November by Greg Abbott. And hopefully then the Democratic establishment will finally realize 
He is not the golden boy they thought he was, and they will cast him out and stop throwing hundreds of millions at him. Or maybe they will keep throwing money at him to our benefit. Um, barring his own ego, nothing can stop him from running for higher office again. He'll run for president as many times as he wants to, but the Democrats hopefully will stop taking him seriously. Speaking of, you know, Republican incumbents crushing Democrats, Florida, just a few states over, Florida, 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 the man, the legend himself, Ron DeSantis, is going to destroy the flip-flopper Charlie Crist, who, who changes his political affiliations more often than I change my socks. The, the latest poll, again, in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian, DeSantis has absolutely come across looking like a strong governor who is firmly in charge and cares about the people of Florida. The latest poll from the University of North Florida, again, the same poll that had Rubio up by 11, has DeSantis up by 14 points against Chris. It's going to be a red tsunami in Florida, which will solidify its status as America's Constantinople. In Arizona, another key swing state here, not-so-great Republican Governor Doug Ducey is retiring, and we have this very crucial election, Carrie Lake versus Katie Crott, Democrat Secretary of State. I think Carrie Lake absolutely is the favorite to win here. And like we said before in the previous episode, Katie Hobbs has played a very dangerous game by choosing, by refusing to debate her opponent. Even when reporters with ABC pressed her, you know, why don't you debate her? Doesn't it make you look afraid? She says, oh, the debate on debates is over. Teehee. I'll bet she's really regretting ending the debate on debates. She's probably going to be debating whether or not she should have ended the debate on debates at this point because it has not worked out well for her. It has boosted Carrie Lake's campaign. The latest poll from the Phillips Academy, a nonpartisan pollster, has Lake up by 11 points, 53 to 42. The, I, I think it's game over. I think Carrie Lake will ultimately win. It will be a decent margin, probably high single digits. She will have an outright majority. And again, Hopes are high for her to get in there and basically do to Arizona what DeSantis has done to Florida. We shall see, but I think Carrie Lake is going to win that. Colorado, uh, Jared Polis, again, the first openly gay governor in American history, is going to win against Republican challenger Heidi Ganahl, who is a stronger candidate than uh, Joe Odea, the Republican Senate nominee for sure. But Polis, uh, again, Colorado's been shifting blue for the last few years now. And Democrat voters, if there's nothing else, they love their milestone candidates. First openly gay governor, they'll vote to reelect him. So I would not hold my breath for Colorado, folks. Maine, this is an interesting one. Incumbent Democrat Janet Mills is facing Republican Paul LePage, who was governor himself not too long ago. So the battle of the governors. Uh, I give the edge to the Democrats in this one. It will probably be close, but I, I'm not going to you know, hold out hope for a Republican victory there. Pennsylvania, this is a big one. As we said, incumbent Democrat Tom Wolf is term limited, and you have the ruthless Secretary of State Josh Shapiro facing off against the based state senator Doug Mastriano. Again, the best gubernatorial nominee we have in the country. He would far away be the best governor we could possibly have. And again, that news from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court is a big deal that will help Mastriano. At this point, I still don't think it's enough. I think it could be closer, you know, mid to late, possibly even. But I think Shapiro will ultimately win. And it will be a shame because we could use more guys like Mastriano. But that certainly, again, that will not bode well for the, the Democrats in the Senate race where Oz is guaranteed to win. New York, New York, New York. Is it escape from New York time? Maybe not if Lee Zeldin comes to the rescue. Again, we talked about that poll from Trafalgar that has Lee Zeldin narrowly in the lead. I would love to see it. It would be amazing. If well, I'll say this. If we were to flip New York, you could throw out a lot of these predictions I've made of Democrats probably holding certain seats. If we flip New York, it's going to be a bloodbath on par, maybe not quite with 2010, but more on par with 1994. 
I I like Lee Zeldin a lot. I would love to see him win. I don't think he's going to win. I think it will be a narrow victory. He could lose by single digits, maybe even mid-single digits, five points or so, but I don't see him pulling off. I think Kathy Hochul is ultimately going to win. Again, she's the first female governor in New York's history. Democrat voters love their milestones, just like the guy in Colorado. I think she'll narrowly pull it off. That that New York City buffer zone that is just it just churns out free Democrat votes in the millions every single election to completely override the rest of upstate New York. I don't see it happening, but uh, I I again hate to be that guy, but we're here to give you the realistic picture. Speaking of which, Michigan. Gretchen Hitler, excuse me, Gretchen Whitmer, I think is probably going to win at the end of the day. Yes, the polls have been tightening. Her Republican challenger, Tudor Dixon, again, first-time candidate, former commentator with Real America's Voice. She's been fighting a great campaign. I think it could be close. Again, low single digits. But ultimately, Whitmer has got to have something else up her sleeve. I don't think she's out of tricks just yet. You look at what she did in the primary to kick five of her opponents off the ballot completely, including the original frontrunner. Then she had a sixth candidate, her second, the second frontrunner for the GOP nomination, arrested by the FBI on January 6th charges. I would not put it past her to have something else planned in the event that Dixon appears to be leading on election night. Uh, she, she's ruthless. Again, she Thanos snapped half a dozen Republicans out of the primary before the, before the primary even happened. I think she will win. If she were to lose, it would be the funniest election result this entire cycle. Uh, again, she had the deep state on her side, the FBI. She had the whole power of the state government. She had her Democrat attorney general who's running for re-election launch an investigation into the Republican nominee for attorney general. If she can't win this, then she's the most incompetent governor in the country. But I think she ultimately will pull it off. Same goes for Minnesota. Again, we talked about this last week. Incumbent Democrat Tim Waltz will beat Republican Scott Jensen, primarily because, as Jacob said, he played a, a much smarter game when it came to the whole defund the police race riot stuff. He didn't go all in on it like, you know, Keith Ellison, the attorney general, like Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, like Mayor Jacob Frey of Minneapolis. He has kept himself at a safe enough distance from that that I think he ultimately will pull off, again, a narrow victory. And we will see some flips in Minnesota. Again, I think we're both in agreement. Keith Ellison will lose re-election, his bid for attorney general, but that will not carry over to Tim Waltz. If There will be some statewide victories, but there will not be a victory in the governor's mansion for Republicans in Minnesota. Now to talk about the flips. As we agreed last week, the two states of Maryland and Massachusetts will flip from Republican to Democrat because both Larry Hogan and Charlie Baker are term limited out. This really isn't a huge ideological loss for us, though, in the long term. They were both rhinos. They were never Trumpers, hardcore social liberals, basically Democrats, which you have to be if you're going to hold statewide office in the Northeast. So this may be a ding against the total number of R's versus D's in governor's matches, but ultimately, this we're not losing much here. It's not like we're losing America First fighters in these, in these particular seats, so they will hardly be missed. And the four Republican pickups, Wisconsin, as we've said, Wisconsin has the worst polling in the country. And right now that polling has it at a dead heat between incumbent Democrat Tony Evers and Republican Tim Mitchells, who is backed by Trump, an America first outsider. I think he ultimately will win and Wisconsin will go back to being a Republican trifecta state legislature, completely controlled by Republicans and Republican in the governor's mansion, which is good news for election integrity. Nevada. Incumbent Democrat Steve Sisolak is definitely on the chopping block. Again, Sheriff Joe Lombardo of Clark County, endorsed by Trump, 
is running away with this, even more so than Adam Laxalt in the Senate race. In fact, the last poll from the Trafalgar Group, again, most accurate polls from the country, has him up by seven points against Sisolak, 51 to 44. That's a huge deal. Uh, again, symbolic of the collapse of the Democratic Party in the post-Harry Reid era in the state of Nevada. That's going to that Nevada is going to be the site of the one state of the single biggest Republican flip of Democrat seats at the statewide level, completely flipping Republican. Kansas, I ultimately believe Derek Schmidt will narrowly pull off a victory against Laura Kelly there. It won't be, it won't be easy. It'll be a close race, but I think we will see Kansas flip back to red as it should be and continue its longstanding tradition since the 1950s. And Oregon, we talked about this one before. Tina Kotek just cannot seem to shake Betsy Johnson off of her shoe, and that ultimately will be it will siphon enough and siphon away enough votes to give the governorship to Christine Drazen, the first Republican governor in Oregon in exactly 40 years. That is going to be one of the big upsets of the cycle overall that we kind of see coming, but it will still be symbolic. And again, it is situational. It's because of a third-party candidate spoiling the Democrat. If it was a one-on-one, -on -one, this seat, we would not be talking about the seat. The seat would stay blue. For my wild card here in the governor's race cycle, um, uh, uh, honorable mention briefly to Michigan and Minnesota. Those are two other states that I could see myself being wrong about here, that if they're the opposite of what I predict, it could be those two. Again, they will be close, but my single wild card over those two has got to be New Mexico. Again, Mark Ronchetti, as we talked about that recent Trafalgar poll, narrowly in the lead. He's an outsider who's very popular in New Mexico. He's more popular there, apparently, than even President Trump. And like we said, he's a former statewide meteorologist, name recognition in the state, and he knows how to speak well in front of a camera. Again, that's why we said recruit more TV personalities like Carrie Lake, like Dr. Oz, and like Mark Ronchetti. That's my wild card. I still ultimately give the edge to the Democrat there, Michelle Grisham. But if there's one race that I am wrong about, it's going to be that one. And finally, we come to the third and final category that we are going to give predictions for here on The Right Take. The U.S. House of Representatives. I'm going to focus on uh, 25 specific races in particular that I want to predict as either pickups for either Democrats or Republicans or holds, seats that will ultimately stay under the control of the current parties. My broad prediction overall, real quick, and this is, again, where I'm going to be a bit of a downer. I'm not going to be as positive as some might be. I think the GOP will see a net gain of no more than 20 seats. In the House of Representatives. Again, there will be some GOP losses for sure that they'll have to make up with their with their gains. I think they'll pick up around 20 seats. Maybe I could be wrong and maybe it could be in the ballpark of between 20 and 25, but I don't think it will be a huge amount. It won't be on par, certainly with 2010, where they flipped 63 seats. It'll be more in the territory of 2014 or 2020, uh, maybe slightly higher than those two cycles. I wanted to predict 10 races where I think Republicans will flip Democrat seats. I'm just going to go through these real quickly. Iowa's 3rd District, which will flip Iowa's entire congressional de delegation to 100% Republican. Maine's 2nd District. The new Montana 1st District, since Montana previously was an at-large state, it now has two seats as a result of the census. Former Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zinke, one of the best Trump cabinet officials, if we're going to be honest. He will win that seat. Ohio 9, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. 
I think J.R. Majewski will ultimately pull it off. Again, he's endorsed by Trump. Ohio's going to go deep red this cycle for, between DeWine and Vance. I think Majewski will pull off a narrow victory there and get rid of the feminist icon, which is a true victory for all of us. Florida's 13th, Anna Paulina Luna will pick up the seat that was formerly held by Charlie Crist, who resigned to run for governor. Wisconsin's 3rd District, uh, Derek Van Orden will pick up this seat that is being left behind by uh, retiring incumbent Ron Kine. Tennessee 5th, this again is one of the most beautiful examples of gerrymandering for the Republican Party, completely gutted Nashville. Nashville previously was located in a single district. It was located in the previous 5th District. But then as a result of gerrymandering, they split the city up between three different districts that kind of carve up Nashville like a, like a pie. And then they spread out wildly uh, in all directions to stretch out into more rural areas to ultimately overrule the portions of the city there in, in each district. District 5 is one example. And a Republican Andy Ogles will pick up the seat being left behind by retiring Congressman Jim Cooper. Rhode Island second, we talked about this one. Uh, Alan Fung versus Seth Magaziner. This will be a pickup in a, in a surprisingly in a blue northeastern state. That will be a huge deal. And again, Fung is, you know, he's not a hardcore conservative, but he's a Trump supporter. He's a good guy. We need someone like that in that seat. Michigan 10. This is a new seat as a result of the, uh, the census. John James will ultimately win against Democrat Carl Marlingo. We talked about this with our friend Joe Enders, who uh, went and proudly voted for John James in the primary, and that seat will be a new Republican seat in Congress. Again, several new seats, not just picking up uh, Democrat seats, picking up new seats as a result of the census, of course, counts as a Republican gain. So that's a huge deal. And lastly, Oregon 5, Jamie McLeod Skinner, who, again, she beat Kurt Schrader in the primary, who was Joe Biden's pick for that seat. She's a hardcore lefty who turns off a lot of the more moderate voters who supported Schrader. I think this will be a Republican pickup, and Lori chavez Doremer will ultimately win. Now, for four seats I want to predict here that will be Republican losses, Texas 34. Uh, this is basically just a recap of the previous episode where we talked about the House races. Myra Flores will be beaten by Vicente Gonzalez. That's, that's just a given with how much the, the district shifted, like 10 points to the left. Three California seats that I talked about before. California 45, uh, Michelle Steele will lose to Jay Chen. District 27, Mike Garcia will lose to Christy Smith. And my former hometown, District 22, David Valadeo will finally be beaten by Democrat Rudy Salas, the, one of the last two pro-impeachment Republicans left standing in the House. And he will be gone and his political career will be over. And Salas will hold that seat for forever, basically. Lastly, I want to talk about 10 seats that I think will ultimately stay in the hands of their current parties. Both of the New Hampshire seats, I think, ultimately. And we've talked at length about the first uh, congressional district where uh, Caroline Levitt, the, uh, the Zoomer who previously worked in the Trump administration, is running against incumbent Democrat Chris Pappas. I think that ultimately will still narrowly stay blue. And this kind of goes in line with my broader prediction for the New Hampshire Senate race. There seem to be rumblings that it could be really close. Maybe some Republican upsets there, whether it's Bulldog or whether it's Levitt. I think New Hampshire is going to stay blue this cycle, if I'm being completely honest. I hope I'm wrong. I think if Bulldog wins the Senate race, then I certainly think then this district could flip red. But for now, I think it'll stay blue. And the same goes for the second district, where Andy Custer will beat Republican Robert Burns. Texas 28, this is an interesting one. This is Henry Queller, one of the most moderate Democrats in the entire uh, Congress. Previously, you know, famously, he's one Democrat who has been very critical of Biden's open borders amnesty policies. He narrowly won the uh, primary. You know, he was challenged by a hardcore lefty, uh, Jessica Cisneros, who basically, you know, was all in on Dreamers and amnesty, rah, rah, rah. She barely lost. And, and he, as a result of that, I think, again, it's a moderate district that likes him because he's moderate. 
He will win against Republican Cassie Garcia. Alaska, oh, I hate saying this. Sarah Palin and that other Republican, uh, Nick Begich the third. They have not learned their lesson from the previous special election. They can't, neither of them can overcome their egos at this point. Neither of them refuses to drop out and support the other, which that would guarantee it would go red. They're continuing to split the Republican vote. Mary Peltola will hold that seat, unfortunately. California's ninth district, Josh Harder will win against Republican Tom Patty. That, uh, remember, that may, you may remember, that's the seat for which uh, our buddy uh, Jim Shoemaker ran. He ran in the primary, ultimately narrowly losing to Tom Patty. If Shoemaker, if, if Jim, if you're listening, I think you would have won that seat, buddy. If you managed to win that nomination, we would. Be, I'd be singing a different tune right now. But as it stands, that seat will ultimately stay blue. California's 47th district. Katie Porter, disgusting Democrat. She so badly wants to be a member of the squad, but she's not young and hip enough for AOC and her friends. She will ultimately defeat Republican Scott Baugh. People keep talking about this one as, as a possible flip, possible upset. I don't see it happening. It's an Orange County seat that is solidified blue as a result of the redistricting. Don't get your hopes up, folks. Same note, California 49, Mike Levin. No, not Mark Levin, the radio host. Democrat Mike Levin will defeat Republican Brian Marriott and again hold this Orange County seat that formerly was red. New York's 19th district. Remember, this was the special election that the GOP completely flubbed when they should have won when Mark Molinaro was beaten by Pat Ryan. Uh, that was the race, again, for the, the outgoing 19th district prior to the census. So the redistricting. So the new 19th district is uh, currently held by Democrat Josh Riley, and Mark Molinaro is running for that seat instead of a rematch against Pat Ryan. I personally think that will stay Democrat. Molinaro has proven he is not a good candidate. He should have won that special election before. And I actually just recently found this out, by the way. Molinaro was the most recent Republican nominee for governor. Yeah, he was the guy who challenged Andrew Cuomo in 2018. I didn't even know that until just the other day. So this guy who had statewide name recognition and the infrastructure and funding left over from that governor's race, he couldn't even win a special election here. This is every bit as bad as when uh, Alex Sink won that, uh, lost that special election in Florida in 2014, the seat that was won by um, David Jolly, who went on to become, of course, you know, a, a cucked never-Trumper. That was seen as a huge bellwether for the 2014 election cycle, where the media immediately said, oh my God, a, a former gubernatorial candidate lost this little uh, congressional district election. That, that's a huge deal. So same thing with Molinaro. I really don't think, and again, I think fortunes overall for the GOP have shifted back in their favor, certainly compared to, you know, when that special election was held, but that still ultimately didn't do Molinaro any favors. I don't think he's going to win. I would love to be wrong, but I don't think he's going to win. And now uh, three districts that I think Republicans will ultimately manage to hold on to. Uh, Washington's third district. Again, this is where Joe Kent unseated Jamie Herrera Butler, you know, a pro-Trump candidate, America first uh, guy defeated one of the pro most vicious of the pro-impeachment Republicans. He will win easily this safely red seat against Democrat Marie Perez. In Michigan 3, again, we talked about this with Joe Enders, where Peter Meyer, another pro-impeachment Republican, was ousted by Republican John Gibbs, who formerly served in the Trump administration, was backed by Trump in the primary. He will win against Democrat Hillary Shulton. And lastly, in California, a, a glimmer of hope for them in Orange County, in District 40, Young Kim, that seat has been shored up more solidly Republican in the aftermath of redistricting. She will win against Democrat Asif Mahmoud. We will come back a little over a week from now after the election and see 
how these races all ultimately turned out. If we got how many of them we got right, how many we got wrong. Again, I will be happy to be proven wrong in terms of the races I predicted Democrats keeping. I think this will be a respectable Republican wave. It won't be 2010, but it'll, it could be better in some sense than 2014. And again, in terms of the sheer upset factor of some of these races we may flip, like Oregon, for example. But I think at the end of the day, we will have, again, a Senate majority of 53, a governorship majority of 30 to the Democrats 20, and we will pick up roughly 20 seats in the House of Representatives, give or take, which ultimately will put the Republicans at about, you know, over 230 seats, give or take, which, again, you need 218 to win a majority. So it'll be a decent enough majority to work with, large enough that I don't think enough cucks, especially with, you know, the impeachment Republicans all being forced out. There won't be enough cucks to sink any bills in the House the way, you know, uh, the Senate, again, in Trump's first two years was. And the Senate majority, this is the most important thing. Let this be the absolute most important takeaway from why this election cycle will be so important and so satisfying. It's not just a matter of, oh, Republicans winning and taking back the majority. No, no, no. It's not just that. We will have a whole new class of solid, grade A, triple A, A plus, America first national populist candidates in offices all across the country. You'll have Kerry Lake as governor of Arizona. You'll have senators J.D. Vance and Blake Masters. You will have... Uh, other Republicans who really owe their political careers to Trump being in office like Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker. And that will be huge, especially in the Senate. We will have, again, I think we'll have a 53-seat Senate majority, which will be just large enough. Uh, I mean, yeah, you'll still have Mitt Romney. You'll still have Murkowski. You'll still have Collins. But in another couple of years, you know, when, again, Mitt Romney is up for re-election in 2024, he may not even run again. And, and again, maybe if Murkowski loses. If Murkowski loses, then immediately— we don't have to worry about the majority anymore because Ben Sass is gone. He's going to go be president of the University of Florida. We will have just that many more truly ideologically aligned Republicans in the U.S. Senate that could overcome the cuckoldry of the handful of rhinos and never Trumpers that will still be there even after this is all said and done. So there you have it, folks. We'll be sure to post a detailed written out descriptions of the major predictions we have just listed out for you here on the right take on this episodes post on the website righttakepodcast.com so be able to be sure to go there and see uh, the full listings the full rankings of each race uh, that we've predicted which ones we think will be flipped by the republicans which ones will be flipped by the democrats which ones will be holds and uh, in the video version of this of course which we post on rumble BitChute, and youtube we will have the graphics of these predictions as i created them via 270 to win that's at 270towin.com which actually has a very handy-dandy uh, graphic for being able to create your own uh, predictions, your own maps. You can rank you know, states by if you think they lean Republican or tilt Republican or toss-up. Very, very handy. I'll include a link to those in the description below. We will ultimately be taking a week off. We will not be posting a regularly scheduled episode next week, but we will be back, uh, and certainly uh, and that's probably the wise thing right now, given that you know some states, not going to name names, may take days to ultimately count and you know confirm their final results. But we will come back about a week after the election to uh, observe the ruins, the aftermath, you know, pick out the pieces of the dust of the rubble from left behind by the 2022 elections. And again, in a good way, most likely it will be a destructive wave for us against them, which is important. And we will analyze these results and look at the the what which races were the biggest upsets which races might still be contested at that point we don't know we shall see
But unfortunately, that is all the time we have left for this special episode of The Right Take. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, be sure to follow us for all of our latest content at our website, righttakepodcast.com. The full list of social media websites and podcast platforms where we are available, righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. And as always, if ever you guys are feeling oh so generous and want to support us and all that we do here on the show for you, righttakepodcast.com slash support. We'll talk to you next week, guys. 